The following message is from the audio ministry of Coastal Community Church. We trust you'll find it helpful and encouraging. Now, here's Pastor Chris Rollins. Good morning. Good morning again. I'm Pastor Chris. Uh, Let me just begin this morning by saying, man, I am jacked up today. I am pumped up. Uh, Part of that is because we just got finished with an awesome week of Vacation Bible School. We saw, I think, 142 different kids last week, had a blast, one of the smoothest, just best run weeks of VBS that we've ever had. Uh, Our our kids uh, had a blast. They learned a lot about God, um, gave uh, generously, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. And then today, uh, maybe the other reason why I'm jacked up is because I'm going to be gone uh, for the next two weeks. Um, I'm getting ready to go on vacation. But this first week is really not so much, it's not just vacation. Um, actually, our staff, most of our staff actually leaves today with me. Me, Janet, most of our staff, we're, we're heading out to Los Angeles uh, today after the service. And I'm in a uh, pastor's coaching network, uh, and our coaching meeting meets uh, Monday and Tuesday. And then Wednesday through Friday, uh, the staff joins me for a conference. And uh, so we're all excited about it. Uh, they're coming back on Saturday, uh, so they, they'll be here next Sunday, but I won't. Uh, Janet and I are going to stick around in Los Angeles a little bit longer and uh, get to hang out uh, with our daughter Lydia. So we're very excited about that. So I feel like I'm just gonna, you know, I got guns blazing this morning, wanna go down in a blaze of glory uh, and preach, and then I'll be gone for a couple of weeks. Um, So today we do begin, as I said earlier, a brand new series called Summer Reading. And this has become another, a little uh, of a bit of a coastal tradition here over the last couple of years. Uh, Basically, as we now wrap up the summer between now and Labor Day, you ready for this? We're encouraging you to read. (gasps) To read, right. Um, To read some awesome books is what it's all about. And, And then each week during the series, Uh, We're using the subject matter from each one of those books as the subject matter for that Sunday's uh, sermon, that Sunday's message. Now, the list of the books and the actual schedule of the books is there in your bulletin. See, it says Summer Reading 2017, and it's pretty uh, pretty well laid out here for you. Each week, uh, you'll see the schedule, the different book, uh, who's going to be preaching, and uh, so basically that sermon's message will come from that book. Now, each, uh, we are also uh, providing for you, if you'll notice back there in the back table underneath our one sign, uh, we are providing a limited number of those books for sale here at the church at the exorbitant price of $5 per book. Uh, so obviously we're not making any money whatsoever uh, on these books, but we want you to read them. So here's what I want you to do for me this morning. Everybody take out your Connect card uh, that Ryan referenced earlier and uh, go ahead and flip it over on the back. Uh, You'll see my decision today and then my next step today. Uh, One of the next steps, in fact, is the second one says, I will read blank for the summer reading series. So again, what I want you to do today is to go ahead and look at the list of the books and make a commitment to read at least one book. You might even pick out uh, a book and literally go ahead and write down the title of that book on the Connect card. Now for some of you, that's not enough. You're readers. And uh, you're going to write down, I will read all the books, you know, all seven books, because you love to read. Now, uh, for others... Um, I would encourage you maybe to look at, in fact, two of the books back there are so short 
that you could literally take them with you into the bathroom instead of your phone, and maybe, depending on your constitution, with just one sitting, or maybe two, you could go ahead and read one or two of those books because they're so short. So, today, let's get started. Um, today's book is a great book, and I really do hope it'll be one of the books that you read this summer. Uh, it's called uh, Prodigal God by Tim Keller. Uh, Tim uh, Keller is a great pastor, a great author, and uh, this book takes a fresh look at one of the most famous stories in one of the most famous chapters in the entire Bible, uh, Luke chapter 15. Uh, Luke chapter 15, it, it's unique in that it is the only time uh, the only recorded time that Jesus ever told three stories back to back to back in, in rapid fire succession to clarify one specific issue. Now, in this case, it was in response to a discussion that the religious leaders and the Pharisees were having over who matters to God and who doesn't. In fact, look with me at the first two verses of Luke 15. They're on your outline and on the screens. It says this. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear him. But the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered. I like that word, muttered, okay? What did they say? This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Okay, so that right there triggers these three parables, okay, that, that little exchange, that, that, you know, that muttering uh, sets the tone for everything that's about to follow. And so in response, Jesus gives these three stories, these three parables. And all of them, if you're familiar with Luke 15, they're all about lostness, okay? The first parable is about the lost sheep. Remember, a man has 100 sheep, one of them goes astray, and he leaves the 99 to find the one. The second parable is about the lost coin. A woman loses uh, an expensive coin, uh, tears the house apart to find the one lost coin. And then when she finds it, she's excited, she throws a big party. And then Jesus tells what is probably one of the most famous stories in the entire Bible. It's about the lost son. Uh, you probably know it as the parable of the prodigal son. Jesus says, a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now, instead of waiting until you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this son packed all of his belongings and took a trip to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money on wild living. Uh, basically, the son takes off for Vegas, uh, loses all of his money, uh, loses all of his friends, he hit, hits rock bottom. Uh, if you know the story, eventually, he does come to his senses, and he decides to go home. The father sees him from the distance, sees him returning, and he runs to him. He embraces him, he hugs him, he gives him a robe, gives him a ring, gives him sandals. He calls in all of his servants and he says, we must celebrate with a feast 
For this son of mine was dead and now has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And so the party began. Now, personally, I have preached more sermons from that parable, that story, that chapter over the last, you know, 28 years here at Coastal than I can count. And if you've been here for any length of time, you've, you've heard me say over and over and over again that this chapter, that story, is one of the foundational uh, stories, chapters of our church. It really does shape who we are as a church, what we do, and how we do it. But the reality is, the story doesn't end there. It's actually a parable about a father with two sons. Verses 25 through 27. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fatted calf because he he has him back safe and sound. So Jesus, the master storyteller, he is about to drop a bomb on his listeners. He's really about to give probably the most shocking description of what it means to be spiritually lost. And I say shocking because all the people who were listening to him, especially the Pharisees and the religious leaders, they would have been absolutely astounded, absolutely rocked to their core. And that's why I'm simply calling this first point the shock. The shock of it all. Now, the primary sin of the younger son, the younger brother, was that he had his heart set not on a relationship with the father, but on the father's stuff, the father's things. That's what he wanted. Well, today, I want us to focus on and talk about the older brother. But I'd like you to consider a question with me. Was the older brother really any different? Verses 28 through 30. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I have been slaving for you and I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never even gave me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fatted calf for him. The younger son that uh, everybody thought was dead has come home. Now, surely, this older brother could see just how important of an event this was. How, how big, what a big deal this is to the father. I mean, this is one of the greatest days in the life of, of this dad. But no. He refuses to go in. He refuses to join 
the celebration, to join the family. Instead, he kind of creates a scene and, and really, in that day, humiliates the father by arguing with him. And then, you know, notice... What's his big objection? You know, what, what are some of the things that bothers him? You know, one thing that you see, he, he's been out of shape over this, uh, the fatted calf. You know, he didn't even get a goat. You, do you know why? One of the reasons why is because the expense of all of that. Uh, back then, the consumption of meat was a big deal, kind of a delicacy for many families, and, and a fatted calf. That would have been an extremely extravagant, expensive, costly way to throw a party. And that's one of the things this older brother's upset about. He's like, you know, why couldn't you just serve finger food and Diet Coke? You know, a a, a fatted calf? Come on. In other words, he's all been out of shape over the father's extravagant love toward the younger son. All of which shows us something. He is just as consumed with the father's stuff, the father's things, as the younger brother was. Just like the younger son, the heart of the older brother was set not on the father, not on a relationship with the father, but on the father's stuff. That's the point that Jesus is making. You see, this story is about two sons. One of them earned a reputation of being very, very bad. He broke the father's rules. He gutted the family fortune. He uh, squandered his windfall, the Bible says, on prostitutes and wild living. But then there's the other son, the very, very good son. The son who's still out in the field because what? He's still working hard. He is compliant. He keeps the rules. He's very religious. And so Jesus is, I'm telling you, shocking point is this. Here is a very, very bad son, and here is a very, very good son, but both of them are alienated from the father. Both of them want control over the father's stuff more than they want the father's love. The father had to actually go out to both of them. Here's the shocking point. Both of them are lost. He went out to the younger son, showering with love, you know, gave him a robe, sandals. I mean, the younger son came to his senses, invited him into the feast. But then he's got to do the very same thing with the older son, the good son, the son who had kept all the rules. The father goes out and verse 31 says, my son. By the way, in Greek, the word technon there for for son, it's a very uh, endearing term. It means my child, very, very tender. In other words, the point that he's making here is that, you know, he's not furious with him. He's not... Uh, frustrated or angry, even though he could be, probably should be, we would be. My son, my child, you've always been with me. In other words, listen, I know you've been faithful. You know, I appreciate all your hard work. Very affirming, very tender. The picture is of this compassionate, loving father going now to the other son that he's always loved and basically saying, Come on in. Son, my child, humble yourself. 
Get rid of your anger. Join the party. Join the celebration. So again, what's the point that Jesus is making? He's illustrating the point that both the bad son and the good son are both equally alienated from God. They're both cut off from the Father. They're both lost. They both had their hearts set in the wrong place. And it, it's just that one did it by going away while the other did it while staying home. But the truly, the truly shocking thing about this whole story is the way Jesus ends it. The younger brother humbles himself. He repents. He comes into the feast, and therefore, he's saved. But the older brother, the good son, the moral son, the son who kept all the rules, that son remains lost. And I think some of you might push back a little and go, well, wait a second now, Pastor Chris. We don't know that. You know, maybe that's not where the story ends. You know, he comes in. Well, okay, but Jesus isn't referencing some actual historical event. He's telling a story, which means if Jesus, who made the story up, you know, if, if the story ends there, then that's where the story ends. It's Jesus' story. None of the characters, none of these people exist outside of this story. So we can't, you can't say, well, come on now, who really knows? No, Jesus knows. And that's why he ended the story the way he did. He was using the story, using this parable, telling this to the Pharisees and the religious leaders to make a point. The bad kid is saved and the good kid is lost. And look carefully, the good boy is lost not despite his goodness, but because of it. Why was he so angry? You know, why, why, why did he adamantly refuse to go in? Why is he alienated from his father? Well, he tells us right there, look back at verse 29. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Now, stop right there. What's he saying? He's saying, hey, Dad, have you forgotten me? You know, I've been good. I've worked hard. I've kept the rules. I've obeyed all the commands. I mean, that ought to, that ought to count for something. You ought to be doing things my way. You ought to be looking out for me, but you're not. And so, uh-uh. No, I'm not coming in. You see, the younger son was alienated from the father through his wrongdoing. The older son was alienated from the father through his right doing. And Jesus is making the point here, the shocking point, that there are two ways to be lost, two ways to be spiritually alienated from God, two ways to wind up in hell. One is to be very bad, and the other is by being very good. And you might be thinking, what? I told you this was gonna be shocking. In fact, I'm glad you're shocked. You, you might be like, well, wait a second, how can that be? Here's how that can be. The Bible tells us that you can either look to Jesus as your Savior, or you can look to something else or someone else. You can either look to Jesus to save you and justify you, 
or you can look to something else or someone else to save you and justify yourself. You say, well, what do you mean justify, Pastor Chris? Remember the old movie, Chariots of Fire? There's a scene there where uh, Harold Abrams, who's the gifted Olympic runner, and he's trying to explain to somebody why he feels a lot of pressure to perform and to win and to win the gold medal. And there's this great line where he says, when that gun goes off, I got about 10 seconds to justify my existence. Now, what did he mean? He meant the same thing we all mean. Uh, he wasn't doing anything or saying anything that we all don't do or say. Because everyone, every one of us, look to something or someone. You know, I'm a good mother. I'm a good father. I'm a, I'm a good person. I work really hard. Uh, I made good grades. I give to charity. I'm basically a really good person. It could be anything. But everybody looks to something or someone hoping that that will justify your reason for existence. My life is justified. It gives me value. It makes my life worth something. And through this, I've achieved a certain amount of significance. Again, everybody looks to something. And the Bible says that you can either look to Jesus for your salvation or your justification, or you can look to something else. And when you do that, you basically become your own Savior and Lord. And that's the point Jesus was making in this story. There are two ways to be your own Savior and Lord. There are two ways to be spiritually alienated from God. There are two ways to set your heart not on God, but on God's things. One is by being very bad, and the other is by trying to be very good. How? Because if in your heart you say, you know, practically, I've been serving, you know, Jesus my entire life. And I've worked really hard. And I've obeyed. And uh, I've been baptized. And I go to church. And, and I've, I've, you know, I've, I've been checking off th this list. And so God, you owe me. You know, it's my turn. I mean, is it really too much to expect that you're now going to answer my prayers, give me a relatively good life, keep me from getting cancer, and obviously take me to heaven when I die? Because I, after all, I've done. You know, after all, I've, I've served and, and given and obeyed. Now, what about me? Now listen to me, in that scenario, Jesus might be your model, he might be your, your boss, um, but he's not your savior. Because it's still all about you. You're still relying on yourself. You have become your own savior. Again, there are two ways to be lost. One is by being uh, morally bankrupt and breaking all the moral rules, and one is thinking that you can keep all of them and save yourself and saying, now God, you owe me. And so Jesus ends the story with the, the younger son, the bad one being saved, and the good one remaining lost. Now don't misunderstand the story though, okay? He is not for one second suggesting that being the younger brother, being the bad one who flaunts the rules and breaks the rules and squanders everything on hookers and partying. He's not saying, obviously, that that's okay. Obviously not. The younger son in the story, remember, was still lost. But in the end, 
It was this younger son who eventually got to the place where he realized it. He realized he had a problem. You see, this, sadly, this is the real issue. The real issue with being an older brother is that most of the time, you don't even know you're lost. And so therefore, spiritually, that is a a much more dangerous place to be. Don't you see, that's that's a problem with us right here in the deep south, where it's all about religion, keeping up appearances. Now, this is where the rubber meets the road because, you know, we all tend to know what younger brother lostness looks like, don't we? I mean, you can see it. It's obvious. I would argue that you can even smell it from time to time, right? I mean, you know, come on. If you have squandered it all away and uh, you wake up in a pigsty with an incredible hangover, you know, and you've lost all your friends, all your family, cost you your job, you know it, right? I mean, those are just some of the signs of younger brother lostness. And you're right. And you're like, wow, you're right. I'm a mess. You know, I I know it. I'm broken. I'm desperate. I get it. But the question is, what does older brother lostness look like? And more important, why is it so hard to identify? And I'll I'll tell you why. And and listen to me. Coastal, this, this is the shocking part. This is the other shocking thing. You ready for this? You see, younger brothers, they're, I mean, they're out there. They're out there in the world. They're out there in the pigsty. But older brothers, listen, they're right here. They're in churches all, all across our country. Older brothers typically are in the church. They're here. Why? Because they're being compliant. They're being very, very good. They're being very moral. They're trying to keep all the rules. They're checking them off. They're measuring up. They're looking good. And all the while, all they really have, like these Pharisees, like these religious leaders, is religion. And they don't have a personal relationship with God. And they're lost. So this is a big deal. How do you know if you're an older brother who's lost? Let me, let's talk about some signs. I think this story, Jesus gives us at least four signs. One, older brothers have this undercurrent of anger in them. This undercurrent of anger throughout their lives. In fact, look back at verse 28. The older brother became what? Angry and refused to go in. Then you hear it just dripping in his voice. Verse 29. Look, all these years I have been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. That anger typifies an older brother's heart. You see, if you believe in your heart that because you're a good person, you know, doing all the things you're supposed to be doing, checking the list, if you believe that because of your goodness, because of your decency and your hard work, that now somehow God owes you something, you're going to spend the rest of your life being frustrated and angry. Why? Because life never goes the way you want it to. Listen, our lives don't go according to the script. Life in this world, on this side of eternity, includes heartache and pain and hurts and disappointments and sorrows. And older brother types constantly are reacting to all of that the same way this older brother reacted. Frustration, anger, 
with like, yeah, but God, I've worked hard. I've given my life for you and this is how you repay me? You know, why isn't my life working out the way I thought it would? You know, why, why is this happening? You've never thrown me a barbecue. Older brothers are angry. Number two, older brothers are all about duty without joy. Look back at the first part of verse 29 again. He says, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. You might miss this. There's, there's an incredible contrast and irony here. Remember when the younger son was making his plans to go back to the father? What it, you know, his, he came up with you know, what he was going to say to his dad. What did he say? He said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your what? Your son. Make me like one of your hired men. Uh, One translation says, make me like a slave. Now, in contrast, here's the older brother who thinks he's a son, and yet because of his, his heart, because of his spiritual condition, he's actually acting like a slave. In fact, he even says it. All these years, I have been what? Slaving for you. What he's really saying is that I've been obeying, I've been serving, I've been working, but it's all been a grind. Older brothers obey, but there's no joy in it. Number three, older brothers find God useful, but not beautiful. Let me explain. Older brothers are all about obedience and duty and diligence. But again, it's all performance-based. They're obeying to earn their standing before God or to get something from him. And again, when life doesn't go the way they want it to, again, like number one, they get angry and frustrated. But listen to this. Gospel-believing, grace-filled believers. Sure, they are faithful and obedient but it's out of worship. It's out of thanksgiving. It's out of gratitude. You've got to see this difference. Listen to me. I, I want to. I want to obey God. I want to follow Jesus. I want to live a life worthy of my calling. Not so that he will save me, but thank Jesus because he has because he has given me eternal life. Not, because, not so that he will give me something, but to thank him for everything he's already done. Do you see the difference? It's out of worship. It's out of gratitude and thanksgiving. Number four, older brothers are all about moral superiority. And you see this in the older brother's refusal to join the party. Again, why, why wouldn't he go in? Verse 30, but when this son of yours, you know, it's interesting that he, he never says, my brother, this brother of mine. No, it's, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property on, with prostitutes comes home. In other words, what's he doing? He's looking down his nose his morally superior nose at his brother. And he points out that he's poor and he's destitute and he got that way by squandering everything away on immorality. 
And he has no concept, no understanding of being saved by grace. And again, who's Jesus talking to? A bunch of Pharisees and religious leaders who thought they were better than everybody else. Now, chances are there's some heaviness in this room right now. Because you might just be thinking, man, that's me. I mean, I, I see the superiority. I, I relate to this duty without joy. And I get frustrated and angry when things don't go my way. And maybe, you know, I had somebody approach me after the first service and they just said, Pastor Chris, I know I am saved, but sometimes I act like an older brother. Let's talk about the solution. You know, the very end of the story also blows my mind. It's also really shocking to me. Because what you got at the end is not just a father, a loving dad pleading with his older son, but truthfully, again, this is Jesus pleading with his enemies. Remember, again, he's saying this to the Pharisees, to the religious leaders who wanted to kill him. He is saying this to a group of people who are looking down their morally superior noses uh, at Jesus because he had the audacity to welcome and to eat with sinners. You know, that they had sized people up, good people and bad people, and they were in the good group, but Jesus was hanging out with people in, in the bad group. And then verse 31, Jesus says, my son, the father said, you are always with me. In other words, again, this is Jesus saying, I know you're here working hard. I know you think you're close to God, but you don't understand the heart of God. You have religion, but you don't have a relationship. You don't understand that everybody is lost and in need of a Savior. But before you and I get a little too judgmental of these Pharisees and Sadducees and these, these religious leaders, listen, we're just like them. We label people. We judge people. We size people up and put people in categories. You know, these are the good people. These are the bad people. But Jesus is saying, listen, there are not two categories of people. There's only one. Lost. And you're all in it. Romans 3.23, for who? All have sinned. All fall short of God's glorious standard. In other words, we're all lost. Good people are lost. Bad people are lost. But the good news is that God sent Jesus to seek and save the lost. He loves the lost. You see, the only people, only people who know and admit they're lost have any hope of being found. So on the one hand, here's Jesus not pulling any punches, and he's speaking the truth. But on the other hand, he's being so tender and patient, and he says, my son, my child, and before anybody here thinks, my, 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 this, this is remarkable. Look at how nice Jesus was being to his enemies. Are you forgetting something? He's speaking to you. 
He's speaking to me. Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, this is Jesus pleading with you, pleading with me. You see, the cross, the cross of Jesus says to you, to me, to everybody, you are messed up. You are, you are lost. You are hopeless. Nothing less than the, the death, the crucifixion of the Son of God could save you. But then... At the very same time, this is Jesus shouting from a bloodied cross, my son, my daughter, I love you and I'm glad to do it. If you would simply admit that you're lost and turn your back on your sin, and take one step of faith home. Jesus is saying, I will run to you. I will make up all the distance. I will embrace you. I will welcome you. I will forgive you. And I will welcome you home. You will be my forever son, my forever daughter a part of my family here and now and on into eternity. And you can have that today. They're not good people. They're not bad people. They're lost people. Lost or found. You can be found today. You could come home today. That's why you're here. That's why God has been drawing you here. That's why he's been drawing you to himself. You're not here by accident or mistake. You can come home today. It is as simple and yet as beautiful and wonderful as a prayer. It's coming home to God. He's ready to accept you. And maybe, just maybe, you have come home. You are saved. But you've had a tendency to become a little bit like an older brother. And maybe we have forgotten why Jesus told this story in the first place. To remind us that people are lost and they need to be found. And you never look into the eyes of another human being who doesn't matter to God just as much as you do. And it's time for us as a church to reach out to all people. Are you ready to come home? You can right now. Bow your heads with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, today I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the story that Jesus told so many years ago. Father, I believe that there have been people here today all day who needed to hear these words and be reminded of your great, great love your extravagant love, your willingness to go to any length to find people. Listen, if you are here today, either like the younger son or like the older son, 
it really doesn't matter. They're just two sides of the same lost coin. Come home. Admit it. Pour out your heart to God right here and right now and say something like this. Dear loving Father, I've blown it. I admit it. I'm a mess. I have I've broken your rules, your laws. I've rebelled against you or God, I have tried to save myself. I think I've, I've thought I could earn my standing before you. I thought I could work my way into heaven. Father, forgive me. I believe. I believe that Jesus went to the cross to pay the price for my sin, my lostness. Today, I put my faith and trust in him and him alone. And not just what he did for me on the cross, but I believe that death could not contain him, that he rose from the dead, and he is alive. And I put all of my trust and my hope in him and in him alone. And now, God, for the rest of my days, between now and the day when I see you face to face, out of worship, out of gratitude, I just want to become more and more like you now see me today, forgiven, brand new, complete and clean. Thank you, God. Thank you. And Father, I pray for those of us who have already come home. Time to time, we become a little bit like an older brother. Angry, judgmental, frustrated. We lack uh, worship. We lack gratitude. Father, remind us of whose we are and what we truly have. And Father, I pray for our church that we would constantly be on the search, constantly on the lookout for older brothers, for younger brothers, for everyone who is lost and needing to be found. Help us to be the church that you've called us to be. We love you, Father. We pray all these things today in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Pastor Chris Rollins of Coastal Community Church. For more information about Coastal or to explore what your next step of faith might look like, check us out online at coastalcommunitychurch.org. From Pastor Chris and the family at Coastal Community Church, thanks for listening.